My name is Sonny Ramaswamy and I'm the director of the National Institute of Food and Agriculture. I'm going to make guacamole that has toasted mealworms in it. Mm. That's good. In the Western world, we've got a bit of a yuck factor associated with insects. And so there needs to be a significant step taken by the potential consumers to say, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and eat insects. Cooked the right way by someone who knows what they're doing tastes like the best sort of crab or shrimp you've ever had in your life. To me, the magic of bugs is how quickly they raise. This is Big Cricket Farms, the first urban farm in the U.S. devoted exclusively to raising food-grade crickets. And this farm at max capacity can raise about 6,000 pounds per month, but our demand is 10, 20 times higher than that. Have you eaten bugs before? You look ready. Last year in the United States, there was over 36 million tons of food scraps sent to landfill, which is absurd given the amount of people that are hungry in this country as well as the world. We can feed that to insects and directly reconstitute it into the food system. When I started my television show, there were no American companies processing crickets or grasshoppers for flour. I see crickets as kind of the gateway bug. We talk about them as the gateway bug. The gateway. Crickets, for better or worse, they became the gateway bug. Live from the Genesis Art Supply Building on North Elston Avenue, just this side of the concrete-encrusted banks of the north branch of the Chicago River, it's the Mike Novak Show, still Chicago's only locally broadcast deep green gardening and environment program, heard every Sunday on Q4 Radio and at MikeNovak.net. Good planets hard to find, temperate zones and tropic climes, True currents and thriving seas, wind blowing through breathing trees, strong ozone and safe sunshine. Well, good planets are hard to find. Nothing stopping him from running for president, except for the fear of getting shin splints. Here he is, Mike Novak. Due to technical difficulties, we join the Mike Novak Show already in progress. Don't worry, we were just getting started. Entomophagy. Word of the day. It is the wor- yes, it is the word of the day. Entomophagy. Now, emophagy is eating insects yes um yeah entomophagy is uh eating bugs is is a now you say bugs because it's not just insects correct that's a really good point correct because all sorts yeah um and apparently there's about 1900 different uh, varieties of bugs you can eat well we'll get to you in a second jason okay jason starts the show about bug eating okay did yeah. you bring samples, by the way? I did not. I apologize for that. No, no, no. That's good. Thank you. They wouldn't let him in the Uber with it. Uh, <laughs> Some new Uber Eats. And, of course, Big Cricket Farms just tweeted, entomophagy is the word of the day. And it is. So we start with that. We'll, we'll start with Big Cricket Farms and why they're raising crickets and, and who should eat them and why. And it's, it's pretty simple, actually. There's a lot of good reasons. Uh, 9.30, uh, several weeks ago, I went out to 
Kilbourne Park Organic Greenhouse. Why? Because the soil mobile was there. What's a soil mobile, you ask? Did you ask that, Peggy? Mike, what is a soil mobile? I'm so glad you asked. Um, it, it's, a, it's a refurbished bus, school bus, that Sandy Seberg from Purple Cow Organics drives around different parts of the country and explains to, to young'uns and old'uns and middle'uns um, about healthy soil, which is how you create healthy plants. Um, and Purple Cow, Cow Organics has a number of products that are... Uh, they're not a sponsor. They should be a sponsor. And yes, maybe, they should. We'll, t- we'll talk them into that. Uh, but as as Big Cricket Farms, uh, and, and I know that's... Putting you on the spot. <laughs> uh, that's my job. Uh, and uh, um, But I talked to him out at Kilbourne Park when he showed up with the... And you can see the, the photo of uh, the soil mobile. With uh, the big cow on the back. With the big cow, purple cow, purple and white cow. On the back. You can see that on my website. Read about this week's show. Go to the homepage, MikeNovak.net, and look where it says read about this week's show. And then scroll down, and you will see uh, the purple cow. Uh, and so we talked to Sam. I talked to him before, and we'll play that back. Uh, he did a little chat there at Kilbourne Park Organic Greenhouse, and then I talked to him about uh, the soil mobile and about Purple Cow Organics. Then, in the second hour, it gets really good. Um, not that the first hour isn't really good, because the first hour is really good, too. But the film that you and I have been promoting now for several weeks, which is called At the Fork, um, and it is about Oh, um, how animals are raised for our consumption. You know, speaking of crickets and insects uh, and bugs, uh, lots of chickens and cows and pigs. Um, oh, my. And, exactly. And you don't necessarily want to know how they're raised, and that's part of the problem. Uh, so we talked to the film's director today, John Papola, and I hope that's how you pronounce it. It may be Papola, but I'll ask him. Um, and he uh, directed it. His wife, Lisa, uh, is a vegetarian and talked to him. He's an omnivore uh, and uh, got him to go on the road and shoot all this stuff. And it's a really interesting documentary. And it comes to Chicago on the 13th of July. Along with John, I got two agricultural muckrakers, which I love. Kevin Fulton, he's a Nebraska rancher, and Chris Peterson, who's an Iowa farmer. He might be called a rancher. I know, I'll ask them whether they want to be called ranchers or farmers. I think sometimes they're interchangeable and sometimes they're not. Um, and Kevin, for instance, in Nebraska, got involved with the Humane Society. Now, that's kind of like, I don't know, Obama saying he's joined the John Birch Society, okay? that's that. I think that there's the, the equivalence there. Um, it's uh, among farmers... For a long time, the Humane Society, who happens to, or which happens to be uh, one of the sponsors of the film, and you and I are sponsors mm-hmm. of the film, uh, was anathema to uh, the uh, the farmers and the cattle ranchers uh, throughout the country, and that is changing, obviously. Uh, and Chris Peterson will be joining him, and as I said, he's from Iowa, and I saw a documentary. I've got it on uh, the links to. Uh, the, the 60 Minutes piece that Chris Peterson was in where he kind of goes after Farm Bureau. Um, so that's why I say he's a muckraker and Kevin Fulton, and they're troublemakers is what I said, and not necessarily muckrakers. We can use that interchangeably as well. And they're both going to be in that interview, which I think is going to be fascinating. Rick DeMaio weather. 
1045 as always, it's getting hot, it's getting dry. That's all we need to know for now. Jason Schuster is in the studio from Big Cricket Farms. Thank you for, for coming down to the Thanks studio. Thanks for having me. Um, how does one get involved with a, a, a bug raising operation? Who wants a long story or the short story? Because they're both. Uh, they're two. Uh, short story. <laughs> all right, I can do that. Um, I just really was fascinated with it in college. The uh, TED Talks, lots of them, watched them constantly, and uh, eventually just set a lot of Google alerts and followed what was happening, found them, and uh, joined them. Is is that because uh, the founder, and how do you uh, how do you pronounce Kevin's last name? Bachhuber. Bachhuber. Yes. Uh, Kevin Bachhuber, um, he did a TED Talk. Is that the one you saw? No, actually... That actually, I was there for that one. Um, I actually watched one by a man named Marcel Deke, D I C K E, and he did one. It's one of the older TED Talks, and it's just called Why Not Eat Insects, based on the Vincent M. Holt book from like the early 1800s, kind of re exploring that same idea. Well, and there's the, and therein lies the difference, which is um, the older talk was probably about insects in the wild. Go out and harvest some, or no? No, no, it's why not eat insects. It is exactly the same kind of talk, the same kind of uh, speech that has been given for a long time. But uh, it was just kind of the first time it was in a very public, very easy to see way. Um, and, he, were, and he yeah. advocated, you know, creating this industry? Absolutely. Wow. Like, he's a researcher, okay. and it was from like a researcher standpoint. He was, uh, at the time, he was the head of biology at Cornell when he gave that speech. Uh huh. Well, and the reason I think about that is, or I thought it might be that, is I, I was reading up on this uh, the last few days, and one of the things that could happen is if we if we start harvesting in the wild, correct? It, uh, we're gonna do what we've done to a lot of species, make them disappear. Or- well, yeah, it's already happening in some places um, in Oaxaca, which is where uh, you know people eat grasshoppers. Oaxacan grasshoppers is like a common thing, chapulines. And uh, they're already having issues with, uh, you know, finding oh, them again. This is what we're so good at. We're good at making species disappear uh, on this planet. So how? So the answer, of course, is to raise them yourself. Correct, and find the find the the right species to raise. Because you know, not every animal is you know easy to raise. Right? There's thousands of mammals we raise. What eleven? You mean for 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 food for for food for our main meat sources exactly yeah yeah because uh, we raise a lot of animals but you're uh, eleven I I had not heard that number well, but so somewhere in that range but but right? in that ballpark but yeah. so how many different insect species do we raise and harvest and I that you know saying that knowing that it's a fairly new industry do you have any idea um, in the U S there's only three species of crickets that are raised. And it's just crickets? Um, what about grasshoppers? What about other things? Well, not really grasshoppers. Grasshoppers have wings. They fly. They can They're destroy other, crops. Ah. Oh, um, you mean if they got out, that would be crazy. There are some people in um, Washington State that are raising grasshoppers. They have a ton of them wild out there, and they're converting them into a live. They're not eating the wild ones, but they're converting them into you know their own stock and using it for genetic diversi- diversification. And they're doing uh-huh. really some cool stuff up there. But but as you, each insect brings its own challenges. I would. Oh imagine. yeah. Oh yeah. All right. What are the challenges of crickets, as in big cricket farms? Yeah. Um, 
And, and what yeah. kind of crickets are you using? I know, but I'm going to let you. Sure, sure. So um, we so the common cricket that most people were raising is the house cricket. You know, it's that common one that everyone's used to seeing. Right. Um, we were raising a smaller variety called the Gorilla sigillatus, which is the tropical banded cricket. And they're brown. They have a stripe. Yeah. Or or two. They're striped. Let's put it exactly, that way. Exactly. Yeah. They have a nice little stripe across their back. And they're cute. They're cute little guys. Yep. They're uh, <laughs> they're they're cute. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not trying to. To, you know, uh, anthropomorphic. Cute, cute little things. Yeah, well, exactly. And then, well, all right. And then we go in. And then, <laughs> but but, 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 but let, me, let, me, let me put it this way. That is done humanely, right? As humanely as we can. Um, from what I understand, you can correct me if I'm wrong, you cool them down, uh, their, their um, body processes, their, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, Diapause. Well, that's what it's called. Oh, like, okay. Yeah. Well, you you tell me then. <laughs> no I, w- I was thinking, uh, you know, you, what's the word now? What, your your bodily, um, oh, it's, it'll come to me in ten minutes. All right, all right. So you slow down. Yeah. There. Come on, you know, Peggy. Metabolism. Yeah. There Metabolism, you go. Yes. Hey. <laughs> I had metamorphosis in my head. I was going kind of Kafka-esque here. It was Halfway metabolism. Was that I thought, oh, boy, that's just, just, that, that was too difficult. All right, so you slow down their metabolism, and it's and, and technically it's called, again? It's called diapause. Uh, so it slows them way down so that, and then you freeze them, and it's not this any shock or anything. It's they, they're eased into immortality. <laughs> exactly. It's the same kind of process as, like, they say when you have a lobster – Rather than just throwing it in and cooking it, you're supposed to like put it in the freezer first. It'll fall asleep. It'll die in there, and then you cook it. Uh-huh. It's still fresh, still good. But yeah, the whole the, the whole lobster thing is yeah. That just don't remind me of that. Doesn't so, work. So um, so that's that's how you do it. And how many of these crickets can you have in one location? Let me let me say the big cricket farms. Um, when uh, Kevin got the idea. Uh, he went to Youngstown, Ohio. Yep, that's where we were. Why Youngstown, Ohio? Youngstown's a fascinating place. It uh, used to be the steel center of the United States. It was one of the wealthiest cities in the United States. And it came crashing down when, uh, all, of the, when all steel left. It's a poor man's Detroit, right? It's a smaller one, yeah. Yeah. Smaller, more concentrated. I mean, I'm from Detroit. That's why I say that, okay? so Yeah, it's very similar. Uh, yeah, with a lot of abandoned factories and that sort of thing, and yep. that's where you guys went, into an abandoned factory? Uh, we had this uh, really interesting, it was a construction supply store, and then a bunch of warehouse space behind their stuff that they rented out to like you know various organizations. So we were in a 5,000-square-foot warehouse, so kind of small for a warehouse, and um, on the other side, there were, like, news vans on the other side of our warehouse. So it's, like, divided. And they were, like, it's very strange. Very cool. Though. Wait, wait. There were, what kind of vans? So, yeah. So the local news station rented oh, the other oh. half of the warehouse. There was a big wall separating them. <laughs> but the other half of the, yeah, it was there were news vans there. <laughs> so you'd wake up in the morning and say hello to the news people. And they'd drive away. And wow. And come back with their stories. And, you know. And, when there was a story right next door. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, did they eventually found out there was a story next door. Yeah, right? it took them a while, though. It took them a while, considering it was literally right under their noses. So where is the market for the crickets that you that you raise at Big Cricket Farms? So um, there's a bunch of different ones, right? Mm-hmm. So 
we started off, we really focused on the high end, you know, culinary chefs, you know, people who are cooking rattlesnake eggs and people who, <laughs> you know, you know, it's a, it's a thing, right? People who are spending $150 for a plate, like one plate of like five course meals. So, you know, $500. And, uh, you know, we had a taste of America, you know, we did, um, you know, James Beard foundation, taste of America dinner, um, with, you know, a lot of famous chefs were there. Um, we did, uh, we met chef Jose Andres of, uh, at Roots in mm-hmm. like Northwest Ohio. Um, it was just, that was kind of the core. It's kind of the core of what we are. It's things have shifted a lot. Um, it's gotten bigger and it's gotten more, more mainstream, right. hasn't it? Much more so. So for someone who may have never had crickets or insects, or you went to Oaxaca and you had them in mole sauce on a taco, um, and you see the big barrels in the market. Sure. So if somebody were to order crickets, I presume they're going to come frozen. Yeah. Or, well, so. And then what do you do with them? Yeah. Well, right now you can get them multiple ways. Um, the most common way to get them is dry roasted. So okay. they're kind of like like peanuts or something. They're crunchy. And they're crunchy, and well, and they're and they're similar to like popcorn in texture because they have like in like a crunchy but airiness to it. And uh, all right, all right, I, we got to dispel a myth here because everybody, I know what everybody's going to say. Do they taste like chicken? No, they do not. See, they, they do taste not. like tilapia. They taste like crickets. Like like really, have you developed a distinct idea of what a cricket tastes like? Yeah, they really have their own flavor. When we were working with um, a few chefs at the late Le Cordon Bleu School, um, they uh, the chef there really was like, they really have their own flavor. I mean, as you, when you start eating them, they taste like, kind of like sunflower seeds, a little nutty, a little seedy. I, I read that they happen to uh, take on the flavor of the feedstock. In addition, yeah, you can do that as well. Oh, so you can manipulate the mm-hmm. flavor of the cricket. Basil crickets, mint crickets. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. But it, 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 the first time pesto we did crickets. it. Right. Well, you can turn them into a great pesto. Really good pesto. Mm-hmm. Now, that seems to be a real favorite, the pesto, cricket, yeah. cricket pesto. Chef Jose Andres loved it. Well, we, we talked about it um, at the time, uh, that clip I played from, which is a, a, a there's a, Talk about documentaries. It's another documentary these folks are working on about not just big cricket farms, but uh, insect and bug eating. Yeah, the in entire general. industry. They call it the, but the crickets, they call it the gateway bug. Yeah. I love that phrase, the gateway bug. Um, because, you know, the minute people start eating crickets, they're not going to want anything else. I'm and- sorry. I'm sorry, beef <laughs> industry. Uh, it's, it's, it, it's it's done. It's a done deal. We've moved on at that point. Uh, but the point uh, you guys make on your website, and by the way, uh, I be, would be remiss if I didn't tell people that they could go to bigcricketfarms.com. That's not so hard to figure out. Um, here's what they say. Uh, crickets need only about two pounds of feed per pound of usable meat. For beef, it takes 25 pounds of feed for the same amount of meat, same pound of meat. Likewise, it, it takes only about one gallon of water to raise one pound of crickets compared to 51 gallons of water for a pound of cow. And crickets produce 100 times fewer greenhouse gases than cows. Wow. Yeah. 
Do they do they produce produce any methane at all? They produce some gases. Yeah, there's um, there's a little bit of okay, yeah, it's it's alive. It's a being. living, it's a living, living, creature. breathing creature, right? Yep. But uh, so the inputs for you guys are a lot less, right? It's all about efficiency, right? And not just those inputs. You're also talking things like space, right? You can stack these things in their containers that they're living in, while cows and pigs and chickens should be roaming they should have space they need it you know mm-hmm. um for them the amount of space because they're so much smaller that they roam is just so much smaller so you can have them in a naturally sized habitat and it's not an issue you can stack them you can create these vertical racks of farm. it's like a vertical it's like a vertical livestock farm uh and i imagine unlike a cow or a pig or a sheep or some other animal, you're not going to get emotionally connected to one cricket. Yeah. Just name them. Jiminy. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, well, it's, it is different. And, and looking at the videos of the cricket farm, uh, okay. How do I ask this? Do they ever get out? I mean, uh, do you, do you have trouble controlling them? So I know you, obviously you've got containers, but, Crickets are probably industrious and try to get out and they, they, they crawl. Don't they crawl fast. They, they don't listen. They're not good listeners. Sit, no. Stay. Yeah. Gotta, they, they've been working on the training. <laughs> um, actually, though, they're not very good climbers. They're not very good jumpers. Um, you would think they are, but when you think of that, you're actually usually thinking of grasshoppers. Uh-huh. Crickets just aren't very good at those things. And you can control them with like very simple, very cheap methods. To just keep them, they can't climb on slippery surfaces very well, so the plastic is very difficult for them. And like, you know, you can contain them. And I saw, easily. I saw them in things that look like egg crates. What's what's that all about? So that's their home. That's those mm-hmm. their sky rises. That's what they live in. Really, they like the egg crates. Yeah, I mean, because they're they're a uh, plant product, right? They can yeah. eat it if yeah. they want to. Do they? They do. do sometimes. When they're getting when they're older, and they like sometimes like the bigger ones will be like. You know, guarding the food and not letting the smaller ones in. There's like a whole little hierarchy. Oh yeah. <laughs> what about the life cycle of a cricket? Um, when does it start chirping? When they start mating. And how long does that take? It's about maybe like eight weeks. And how long before you harvest? Um, we can harvest after about nine to ten. About ten weeks is when you. Start so you got two harvest. weeks of insanity of 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 mating calls and. Chirping that do you have to wear headphones or, or ear stops and things like that? I mean, Earplugs? some people pay for that noise, right? They pay for it to go to sleep. <laughs> well, that's true. Wow, you should just record it and sell those there things. There you go. Yeah. Live stream off of uh, the website. Diversification. Yeah. Well, we're almost out of time here, but um, one of the things, and I read this on the site, so I'm not busting you here at all. And by the way, that's Jason Schuster from Big Cricket Farms. And um, as I said, you can go to bigcricketfarms.com to find more information. There's a documentary that's going to be coming out soon. Do you have any idea when the documentary is supposed to come out? See, it keeps getting pushed back because exciting things keep happening. And I think In they the keep world of bugs. It, yeah. Right. So, do you know the, the 90s rapper Nas? Have you heard of him? Well, I'm sometimes called Nas myself, but that's King Nasmo, but that's a different thing altogether. Well, anyway, he just invested like $2 million into a cricket protein bar company. Really? Not yeah. yours, I think. Not ours. 
but there was Mark Cuban invested into one. Wow. Ariel Zuckerberg has invested into a farm. So there's like movement happening. So I got to ask, how is your business doing? There are things happening. <laughs> well, for one thing, you move into L.A., right? There's just there's a lot of different uh, or parts of it. All right, moving parts. So there's stuff one you of can't the say, right? <laughs> one of the LA's. Oh, what I meant was Louisiana. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry. I should have. That's true. L.A. means Los Angeles. I meant Louisiana. <laughs> Duh. Uh, but you also had some weird thing happen in Youngstown that, uh, yeah. and and it's and I wouldn't bust you on it except that it's referenced on the website. It is. Uh, Kevin references it. So tell me what happened. So, um, you know, it it kind of came out. Similar to the time about when the Flint, Michigan water crisis, it wasn't too long before that. Um, there was, we were just on our, you know, doing our work, you know, sitting on our computers, working. I was working on sales, and there was a Facebook post that came up, and uh, someone had posted that uh, there was a large amount of trihalomethane, trihalomethamine in the water. And this was a notice they'd gotten from the city. Mm-hmm. The problem was you had to be a, an owner, of, like a residential owner. In the city to get the notice. So with a large amount of people renting in the city, almost no one got this notice. And we didn't find out about it unless, unless you'd read this Facebook post. And it just showed up. And we were Yikes. just like, oh, this may be why. Because we were having issues with crop failure. It was happening. Mm-hmm. And we couldn't figure it out. We brought in consultants from around the world. We had... We did everything we could. We ran you know, water filtration, air filtration. We did v- viral testing. Everything was coming up inconclusive. And then this came up, and it was like, well, that's not a healthy thing to be in your water. If we can't drink it, these things are smaller. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, they're more fragile, way more fragile than us. And they were on that water. You had the, the city water, right? Yeah, and we had them through water, reverse osmosis, water filtration. But this chemical goes through that. So you had some issues there with with crop failure, crop, and using air quotes, crop failure, uh, and and have have you recovered from that? Yeah, I mean, but also it's about you know moving forward. That's one of the reasons why we're deciding to change destinations, and it's also one of the reasons why we've kind of changed our focus a little bit. Mm-hmm. But there's you know there's just so much to do, mm-hmm. and there's so many things happening within this space. Maybe farmers should. You know, the people who are actually raising the crickets, there are gen- people who have been raising them for generations. So maybe it's more about letting them do what they do well and helping them get into this space. So there's all sorts of kind of new opportunities within it. All right. Well, uh, I'm not even going to get into the whole idea of how we convince uh, 320 million Americans to start eating insects and bugs. Um, well, it's the gateway bug, right? It is the gateway bug. and But you, you see it happening. I, I do. I've seen so much progress from when I was in college and I would talk about it and people would think I was crazy. And then yesterday I was speaking with a girl who's a food science major, 21 years old, and she was telling me about this crazy new product called cricket powder and how it was <laughs> going to change everything. And I was like, you don't even know who you're talking to right now. <laughs> and, and I think if it is in protein bars and it's crickets and it winds up in people's after workout shakes it's a whole lot different presentation to people than, here, have a bowl of crickets. True. However, I think they're delicious. And when you take a filet mignon and you dry it out into, you know, beef jerky, and then you grind it up into a protein powder, is it still filet mignon? It's del- it's, it was delicious when it mm-hmm. started. Now it's just 
nutrients. Yeah, amino acids. Because uh, if you if you look at some of these videos, you'll see that they actually mm-hmm. put these crickets on hot dogs, and and you can tell it's a cricket. And people are choosing to eat it in this way. It's, yeah. And we were living in Youngstown, Ohio, and people were loving it. People were bringing their whole families in to eat it at this place, Susie's Dogs and Drafts. Yeah. And. You trying to tell me that if people in Youngstown will eat it, I can't get foodies in, in Portland, Oregon to do it. I can't people get, in Youngstown, right? they're crazy. They're they're nuts. crazy, but they're it's it's America. Yeah. It is average America, uh, and that's it. Average America is going crazy for insects and and bugs. Uh, Jason Schuster from Big Cricket Farms, thank you so much for coming into the studio. Really, really appreciate it. It was fun. You've heard Mike say many times on this program, it's the biology, stupid. When he says that, he's usually talking about the soil and how certain chemicals and certain horticultural practices can wreak havoc with the microscopic and macroscopic critters down there. But the same thing applies to critters you can actually see, like birds and insects and amphibians and reptiles and mammals. If you don't give them a good home, they're going to pack up and leave. Or worse, simply stop reproducing. That's where natural communities' native plants come in. Natural Communities native plants are locally grown and sourced, featuring more than 150 species native to the Chicago region. And those plants have been working for thousands of years with our local pollinators and other critters. That's why you should garden with native plants. And in Chicagoland, the way to do that is with Natural Communities native plants. Go to naturalcommunities.net. It's not just your garden. It's the way you live. And there's so much to know. But you have help. Bonnie Plants. Now with Bonnie's app, Homegrown, you can learn about veggie and herb varieties, track and record your garden with photos and notes, share on Facebook and Twitter, and so much more. How'd you ever grow without it? Get Homegrown with Bonnie Plants for iPhone and Android. The more you know, the better you can grow with Bonnie. Want to make a positive move in the housing market? Replace your siding and windows. You'll improve your home's look and energy efficiency, too. Trust DR Services Unlimited, 847-998-1687 for your remodeling and energy needs. Siding, windows, solar and wind power, and more. Rated A-plus by the Better Business Bureau and recommended on Angie's List. DR is a proud member of NARI. DR provides exceptional quality at a fair price. Contact DR at 847-998-1687 or at RestoreTheNorthShore.com. Hey, this is Peggy. When I speak at local events, people often ask me, aren't you the Peggy in the Natural Awakenings ads? And that makes me happy because it reminds me that Chicagoans want to live healthier lives. And Natural Awakenings magazine helps them do just that. Natural Awakenings, it's the greenest, healthiest magazine in the Chicago area. Each month, we bring you the latest information about health and wellness, complementary medicine, fitness and exercise, raising healthy kids, and even healthy pets. You'll find articles about healthy homes, too, including gardening, energy efficiency, and green living. And if you love good food, you'll always find tasty recipes and cooking hints. Check out our monthly calendar. It's full of events to help keep you connected. Natural Awakenings is available in more than 1,100 locations throughout Chicago and suburban Cook, Lake, and McHenry counties. And it's free. Or visit us online at nachicagonorth.com. Natural Awakenings. Feel good. Live simply. Laugh more. Skies of blue and fields of green Water full of atrazine Hundred acres to explore Acres full of alachlore Hey, hey, ho, ho Mom and Dad, how could they know Oh, 
done made me gay. Yes, just another friendly little warning from your friends at the Mike Novak Show. Actually, I had to play that uh, from Susan Werner, and I need to have her back on the show. She was on a couple of years ago, and then I went to see her perform, and she's uh, pretty terrific. Um, And uh, that's from her CD, Hayseed, and it's got a lot of farm songs, but as you can tell, some of them are a little off-kilter, which is not not a bad thing, uh, especially uh, for somebody who... Who's going to be on this show? All right. Like I said, a few weeks ago, I went out to Kilbourne Park uh, Organic Greenhouse to talk to Sandy Seberg from Purple Cow. Uh, I'm going to play that. And <clears throat> what you hear at the beginning is uh, him talking to the crowd there, and then we, we sort of launch into the interview. And uh, I think you're going to find it, you know, speaking of herbicides and organic stuff, you're going to find this pretty interesting. Whoa. Um, and we are super excited to have Sandy here with um, Purple Cow Organics. Uh, we actually use their potting soil or compost for our plants from the plant sale. So there is a result. Uh, the purple red cabbage <laughs> looks very purpley today. Um, so we're excited to hear about their product and hear about their passion for creating better soil and better um healthy communities through that process so thanks for coming yeah, out sandy for, thanks for having me Renee. And thank you all for being here yeah this is great and we're going to keep it informal right because we're in a beautiful yeah. garden on a on a gorgeous day um and and it's always encouraging to me no matter how large or small the crowd is when there's people that are interested in soil because it really is and becoming more and more readily understood that it's you know not only the basis of all life you know, I mean, when you really think about it, I mean, all of our, all the fancy things we do, right? The skyscrapers, you know, drive in, I used to call, I used to still call it the Sears Tower, right? But, you know, driving into Chicago and seeing that, you know, just, it's amazing to me what we can do as humans and all these accomplishments. But we would not be here if it were not for six inches of topsoil and the fact that it rains. Period. It'd be all done. You know, game over. Um, so, a little bit about me. Um, not that I want to talk about me. But the reality is that... Um, I grew up on a farm in Wisconsin, um, still actually uh, live on a farm just two miles down the road from that farm. Um, was very fortunate that, uh, you know, we had pretty much all that was necessary uh, came right from, you know, my grandmother and my two great aunts uh, had a three and a half acre vegetable. I mean, it's a small CSA by today's standards. So, you know, and they produced all the, all the vegetables, put up all the canned goods. We had a root cellar. All of that was done. Um, so for somebody growing up in the 60s, you know, that was really more like a 40s childhood uh, to, from those respects. But my grandmother, uh, you know, was always about feeding the soil. We would go down the road, uh, and if somebody was in the fall raking up a big pile of leaves, she'd, you know, five foot two, she'd swing the car over and you know, I'd crouch in the seat because I probably knew who it was. And she'd walk out and she'd start shaking her finger at them. And, it, it, you know, they ask Mrs. Seberg and they start stamping out the leaves. And then the next day we'd go and haul those leaves to the compost box. Um, so 
not really knowing it, I got into the compost business when I was eight years old. Um, but more importantly, you know, uh, and any any young person, or not any, but a good many young people, when you grow up on a farm and it's a lot of work, um, our society to a large degree, you know, is, you know, go explore, go expand. Uh, you know, there's, there's other ways to be productive. Certainly during the 80s, we had uh, pressures to have, have bigger farms. You know, small farms weren't... Uh, uh, the fashion, uh, and they're sort of still not, you know, so I farm 300 acres, certified organic uh, acres, and we grow a wide variety of crops. We grow pinto beans for Chipotle restaurants. Um, you know, we grow seed for a seed company in Albert Lee, Minnesota, and I grow uh, quite a bit of feed for Organic Valley Dairy and uh, egg farmers. So that's where the story of the bus comes in. The bus actually was... I'm with Sandy Seberg. From Purple Cow Organics, you can go to purplecoworganics.com, and we're standing in front of the soil mobile. But as your daughter says, it's kind of a '60s thing here. Right. It's kind the of hippie a hip, bus. hippie bus, the right? Hippie bus, yeah. Well, well, describe the hippie bus. Now, describe the soil mobile. So it's uh, it's a repurposed 1988 school bus, uh, and it was originally in service at Organic Valley uh, for their Generation Organic program, which is. 18 to 35-year-old uh, farmer uh, daughters and sons traveled around the world, uh, or not the world, around the United States anyhow, um, uh, going to fairs and really just talking about, uh, you know, the Organic Valley brand and how the cows are raised and those sorts of things. So it was really um, done with that purpose. And uh, last year was the International Year of the Soils. Um, so I'd made a proposal to Organic Valley, you know, let's repurpose this bus one more time, you know, as uh, a soil mobile and keep that momentum going about, you know, the soil health and the connection of soil health to human health that was really initiated and the momentum was originally built by the UN's declaration last year of uh, the 2015 International Year of the Soils. So, um, you know, we sort of rebranded it uh, and hit the road on a tour throughout the Midwest, uh, talking at garden centers, farmers markets, um, organic greenhouses. Like we're, we're here, here at Kilbourne Park in yeah, Chicago yeah. right now. And, uh, you know, really just taking every opportunity. I mean, even when I'm fueling the thing up at uh, at a gas station or something, you know, I'll, I'll interact with people about what the Well, you, you have about. to because there's a cow on the back of the bus, <laughs> all sure. right? I imagine people come up to you all the time and say, hey, what's the deal? Yeah, the you know the and certainly they think that we're making a uh, our fertilizer product that's made out of cow manure. Our product actually contains no manure. The cow is on the bags, not in the bags. Um, <laughs> and uh, all right, right. If, if if it's not cow manure, what is it? It's all plant-based material. So we um, you know collect yard residuals, trees, leaves, branches, uh, leaves primarily from uh, a number of municipalities in southeastern Wisconsin where we. Um, have windrow compost facilities where we convert it into uh, OMRI listed. I'm guessing some of your viewers or listeners may be aware of what OMRI is, but that's the Organic Materials Review Institute. So most of our product actually goes to organic farms in bulk, you know, big truckloads. And, and, was, and let me let me put in a plug here. I have used it, and it's an excellent product. I yeah. mean, you guys do a good job. Yeah, and, you know, we started doing that for organic vegetable farmers and broadacre farmers, corn and, and wheat and barley and things. Um, and then there was a, an increasing desire for that type of product that was effective and returned uh, nutrients to the soil along with organic matter and a bio, you know the living life biology that comes with a good high quality compost. So we you know we put it in a bag 
And it was really then that the purple cow um, concept came up. And it was originally intended to just sort of coin or brand this retail product uh, in, a, in an eye-catching and interesting way, which it did. Um, but in 2010, we actually renamed the company Purple Cow Organics. Um, that, that's right. Yeah. I remember that. And why did you not use uh, cow manure in the product? Well, um, I mean, cow manure properly composted is a great product. Yeah, and that's right. And, yeah, and, yeah. yeah. and it brings some benefits. Um, and, you know, we certainly aren't opposed to that. One of the things that in the organic uh, requirements for the National Organic Program is is products made out of manure have different restrictions as far as how they're applied on farm fields. So we chose early on to avoid those uh, time of application restrictions and some of those other concerns about manure-based compost and soil amendments. So we just chose, you know, to avoid it. Um, but you know the the you know the you know the yard materials, the leaves, trees, branches, plant material. Uh, you know, all contains very, very high um, amounts of organic matter. So we get a we get a compost, a finished product that that's really high in organic matter. Um, and you know, oftentimes in manure composts, you know, it's it's a bit lower just because of the the nature of the feedstock, the animal, the the fiber that's been fed. You know, the carbon that's been fed has been um, converted into meat or milk or or whatever the animal is being fed that. And while we're in this direction, uh, where in the Chicago area can folks get Purple Cow? Uh, we sell only through independent garden centers. Um, Yay! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, so, you know, all around Chicago, um, you know, a few that come to mind are Gethsemane, uh, Canoopers, Pesci's. Uh, but, but really, go to our website. There's a there's a, a gardening tab, and then a where to buy tab, and you can just simply put in a. A zip code, and it'll tell you, uh, you know, who, where your closest independent garden center is. And that's purplecoworganics.com. Now, before you're doing a talk here, and before we get to that, I'm, we're going to do a, an audio tour <laughs> of the bus, uh, and I'll have some uh, photos on the website. But let's walk around. You can tell me about some of the features here because it's not just. Well, first of all, you don't. It's not filled with soil, right? No, no. no. <laughs> no it's really. Um, I mean, think about a a school bus as uh it's one of the icons of education right you know i mean um we always associate a big yellow school bus you know with the first day of school and right. you know the twos and froms and um so i think it's fitting to use a school bus you know as an educational platform not only a vehicle that that gets us transported around the country to where we can engage and and communicate with people about the importance of soil health but it also sort of is, you know, flashy going down the road and just makes people think that, that there's you know, a cow that on the back. I, I can't <laughs> emphasize that enough. There's a cow on the back of the bus. So the bus and it's purple, by the way. It's a purple cow. The bus is outfitted uh, with, a, with, a, with an alternative fuel system, so it'll run on uh, 100% biodiesel um, or vegetable oil. Uh, you know, and not uh, used vegetable oil. So you don't have to go to a fast food nope, joint and nope, say, empty it out for nope, me. You nope. go... To the, the the clean bottle of oil or whatever or well, yeah, the I mean, gallon the, the 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 oil that's preferable and that the bus likes to run on is sunflower oil and that uh, can be grown right on our research farm, which you do and you press do. and you take the oil and then you feed the rest of it. Yeah, you feed the you feed the meal. You know the solid portion of the the black oil sunflowers. Same thing that you see in a bird seed or or growing on uh, the side of the road. 
and and they're really high in oil. It uh, produces about 100 to 120 gallons per acre. Uh, you know, so a, a farm of and, ours. And how long does 120 gallons last on the bus? It that would take us probably about 1,200 miles. You know, we're getting a little about 11 miles to the gallon is what is what the bus gets when it's running on vegetable. I, for a bus, that's yeah, not that bad. For this big, it's yeah, really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah and. And the, the vegetable oil burns much cleaner than diesel fuel. It doesn't have the hydrocarbons. It doesn't have, it's not as dirty as, as uh, a diesel or other petroleum-based so fuels. But you say you have bio. Can you switch from biodiesel yep. to the... Yep, yep. And, yeah. how, and do you do that? How does that work? It actually works automatically. The, the way the system that was installed works, um, you know, if you want to run on vegetable oil, you turn that switch on, and when the engine and the oil is to the right temperature, it switches over to, to vegetable oil. Um, and when uh, you stop, it switches back. Uh, you know, it, it's really a, a pretty, pretty simple but but you know very effective system. And uh, you know, it 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 runs cleaner. Uh, we actually get a little bit better fuel mileage on sunflower oil. Um, and it's really just, I mean, it's it it is no different than what you would see in a bottle. You know, that you're going to make some salad dressing out of. It's <laughs> that's. I, and as I told you before, I want my car switched over to vegetable oil. Yeah, I mean it's a homegrown fuel, um, you know, and at a, and at 120 gallons per acre, um, you know, a 300 acre operation like our research farm is, you know, would really for all of the fuel um, for that farming operation, and actually even if you added the bus, would probably only take about 20 acres of sunflowers to 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 be completely self sufficient from the standpoint of fuel. Amazing. All right, we're walking back. We're walking. We're walking. Uh, says make your soil better on the side of the uh, bus. It also says. Own your food, drive your future, healthy soil, healthy plants, healthy people. Yeah, and healthy soil, healthy plants, healthy people was actually uh, a phrase that was coined by J.I. Rodale in 1949. And it is the mantra of this bus tour and why we're on the road, but it really also is part of our DNA. You know, at Purple Cow Organics, it's really about connecting the fact that, uh, you know, when we have all the necessary nutrients to, to grow healthy plants, and prevent them from disease, they then uh, have the nutrients that, that also, uh, you know, make, make us healthier. You know, the, when food was grown before, you know, we went to just NPK fertilizers, you know, there were all sorts of trace minerals and there rock, rock nutrients and calciums and phosphorus and those sort of things. And we switched to these NPK, uh, and we can still get good crops, but they're deficient in these, uh, these other necessary nutrients. Um, and that's why there's a vitamin aisle at a grocery store now. You know? and, and, it's, and, and as I tell people, it's also the biology, stupid, um, because um, about a dozen years ago, um, uh, a buddy of mine, uh, Sean Kingzett from The Care of Trees, then they were The Care of Trees, and they were subsequently bought up by Davey, he explained it to me and said, you know, as you just said, in the old days, the old days, I'm using air quotes here, it was NPK, nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, and we thought we had it linked. There we go. Uh, and then we realized, no, there's really a lot more going on than we ever imagined, and so we're kind of back to the future here. It's like, you got to go back to, there's, there's a certain magic in growing, too. I mean, you're talking about micronutrients, and sure. that's important, but we, we, we thought we could quantify it everything and, and take all the mystery out of it. But there's still some mystery in growing plants, isn't there? There certainly is. Um, and that's one of the things that's exciting about being involved, at least on, from the soil aspect, um, is that there, there is still so much yet to learn. Um, but as far as the, the connections is really when those, all those nutrients come into the correct balance is when the magic happens. So 
it's not just being able to add one you know more important or potentially affordable nutrient versus another it's really getting them in balance so that uh, it'd be no different than going down the road if if all the cylinders in your car were different sizes or running at different efficiencies you know it wouldn't run very good you know but when you get it you know or your tire if it didn't if it wasn't balanced it would you know uh, bump, bump, bump down the road. So, or, or if you put maple syrup into the tank instead of corn oil, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, so, so there is there is a component of really getting that getting that balance there, and part of how you get that balance there is really sort of stepping back and understanding that plants and soil and nature are really better at understanding what what those things are versus us. So, it's back to your biology component. You know, from the care of the trees comment is that. You know, the biology is the link between that. You know, the nutrients might sure. be in the soil, um, but locked up because there isn't the necessary biological partner, a little worker there, to make it into a plant-available form. So, Yeah, so, they're, they're interconnected. I, I don't want to say the biology is more important than the micronutrients. Right. It's, they all work in concert. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, all right, now we're going to the back of the bus. <laughs> There's the purple cow. Uh, it's not quite. It's white and purple. Um, and uh, where did that come from? The cow itself, you mean? Yeah, the cow itself. Oh, um, you can order these, uh, you know, if you're a proud dairy farmer and you want a black and white Holstein. It's not from the, 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 the presentation they, they had in Chicago before, right? No, no, cows they, on parade, I think yeah, is what they call them. Whatever it was, yeah. yeah. No, uh, so we found a, you know, we found a company that was uh, willing to to be a little different like we are and and make us a purple cow. <laughs> And, I, and, and you've got the straps here, and, it, and how is this mounted? I, wonder, I hope it's, uh, oh, you've got bolts and stuff yep, down there. Yep, so it's, it's all strapped down. So it's not yep. going to fall off the back of the bus here. This cow has been on the back of this bus, and just a short time this spring, the bus, the cow, and I have traveled a distance greater than New York to Los Angeles. So she's holding up just fine. Wow, she's doing great. And the question above her is, who's your farmer? It's, it's not... Who's your daddy? It's who's your farmer? Right. Yeah. And, we, you know, we've seen all that, um, you know, happen with our local food connections and our, you know, farmers markets are, are you know, just uh, expanding tremendously around the country. So, you know, part of the conversation about soil health is the conversation of who's growing in that soil for you. So, you know, it's, it's another way for the bus to trigger the question, what does that mean? You know, what do you mean? Who's your farmer? You know, which then we can talk about, uh, who that farmer is, why you might want to know who that farmer is, and then you can know what type of soils and what type of care they're giving that soil. And uh, that's, of course, the whole point of the bus, is to raise questions and to pose those to, to, to people young and old and explain to them what is soil, how does it work, how does it help your plants grow. Um, and this is the power of the purple cow uh, and uh, the soil mobile right. here. Yeah, it's really to raise awareness. You know, in the talk that we're going to do at Kilbourne Park, uh, and, and we were uh, have talked several times before, you know, is about plant diseases. And, you know, uh, tomatoes are a big one this time of year, right? You know, and everybody, not everybody, but, you know, it's common knowledge that uh, blossom end rot is a calcium deficiency. So if that plant is going to produce a less than perfect tomato, missing a nutrient like calcium, which isn't on the NPK fertilizer bag, mm -hmm. um, you know, the the... The reality is, is that if the calcium isn't in the food that we're eating, there might be deficiencies or diseases that might occur in us because of those mineral deficiencies as well. Well, I want to thank you so much for giving me the tour. 
of uh, the Soil Mobile. Uh, that's Sandy Seberg, and I am pronouncing it correctly now, correctly right? Correctly now, yeah. yes, thank you. <laughs> it only took me a few years to figure out that. And uh, it's Purple Cow Organics. Dot com. Uh, as Sandy said, you can get them in the Chicago area. You can get them all over. But just go online and, uh, and see where that happens. Uh, so much success to you. Take care. Captain's log, stardate 42326.1. The Enterprise is under attack by an apparently hostile life form. Mr. Wolf, status report. They appear to be perambulating vegetables. We are being stalked by stalks of asparagus. That is incorrect, Mr. Wolf. Mr. Data, be more specific. Asparagus officinalis, or killer asparagus, was the subject of a very popular 21st century tome by the brilliant author Mike Novak. Mike Novak. I'm familiar with his work. Of course. Attack of the Killer Asparagus is required reading at Starfleet Academy. Tell me more, Mr. Data. He has been variously compared to Mark Twain, Dave Barry, and Gwynok of Ninglador. Captain, shields are failing. Thank you, Mr. Wolf. Mr. Data, options. Captain, it seems to be available online at AroundTheBlockPress.com. AroundTheBlockPress.com. What do they have to say? Hmm. It appears that Mike Novak is a slapstick every gardener, taking all our self-delusions, mishaps, and confusions, and playing them for big laughs. That's not very helpful, Mr. Data. No, it is, however, highly accurate. This is Heather Fry. Every time I open up an issue of Chicagoland Gardening Magazine, I know I'm going to learn something. And that's in spite of Mike Novak's column on the inside back page. If you've ever read it, you know what I'm talking about. Anyway, in Chicagoland Gardening, you might pick up some knowledge in one of the excellent feature articles or in one of the regular departments like Ask the Garden Pros or the Regional Reports or What to Do in the Garden. Or you might be inspired by one of the luscious photos. And Chicagoland Gardening Magazine is just one of 21 different publications of state-by-state gardening. Wherever you live in the Midwest or the South, state-by-state gardening has a magazine for you. They feature articles by some of the leading gardening experts in each state, including famous authors, nursery owners, state extension agents, master gardeners, even Mike. Subscribe today by going to statebystategardening.com or call 888-265-265. 3600. That's 888-265-3600. All right, I think these babies are ready to go. I love my big Italian family. My family loves their food. And then, oh yes, and there's the bacon. There's the bacon. But not my whole family. For the past 10 years, my vegetarian wife has been trying to convince me to take a closer look at just how these ribs ended up on my plate. So I agreed to set out on a journey to visit the farms, meet the animals. Oh my gosh, she's huge. And question the farmers. So why did you speak out? I just felt like the consumer was being lied to. And what we found surprised us. Caring about animals, caring about where your food comes from, caring about how your food is produced is just part of a larger shift in all of civilization. Man does have dominion over the animals. Man does have a calling to be a steward of the animals. With animals, you're talking about living beings that have feelings, they have emotions, that's been proven. But dominion does not mean complete domination. I don't have to cause the death of somebody else to survive. Yes, I ethically justify eating meat, but we've got to give animals a good life. We've got to give them a life worth living.
Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show, still Chicago's only locally broadcast deep green gardening and environment program. Broadcasting live every Sunday from the Genesis Art Supply Building on North Elston Avenue on Q4 Radio and at MikeNovak.net. Here he is again, Mike Novak. And don't forget farming. Deep green, gardening, environment, and farming. Farming, because, well, urban farming, and sometimes not so urban farming. Um, we uh, are going out on the phone right now. Let's make sure that we've got John here. John, are, we, are you with me? I am, Mike. Wow, what's that in the background I'm hearing? It's very dramatic. Color of morning pee coming out of the sink. It's 2016. What is that? Oh, no, no. That, oh. oh, wait, 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 wait. That is, that is, I know what that is. That's got, oh, boy. oh that's coming from here. That's coming from Sorry, here. Sorry, John. Hold on. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Uh, usually there's another program up here. All right, John, are you still with me? I am indeed. I am very familiar with trying to hunt down. Audio outputs from a hundred programs being opened. Oh, I, 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 I am so glad you understand that you are a kind man, and it's because you've been doing this a long time. And you know, this is what happens when you when you walk into a studio and people have been in here before, and they don't turn off everything, and then suddenly it's surprise. Oh, lordy, uh, John, you got to tell me how to pronounce your last name very quickly. Oh, it's a Popola. 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 Okay, because I wasn't sure if it was Papola or Popola, and uh, my, you know, my grandfather coming over from Italy would have said Popola, but you know, somewhere along the line, I say Popola. Okay, well, and mine. So either or. Yeah, well, my name is. <laughs> my name is uh, is uh, spelled N O W A K, but it's Polish, uh, so it's not Nowak. But my p- parents pronounced it Novak. And, uh, and, and so, I, I, you know, you, you, sometimes you go with your parents and sometimes you defy them. My brother got tired of people mispronouncing his name, so he changed the W to a V, and he became Novak. Um, and by the way, Dennis, I know he's listening because he, uh, he, he wrote me an email and said he was recording the program, too. Thank so, you, Dennis. So, Dennis, you get a beard ding there. Uh, John, uh, oh, now I've forgotten, uh, uh, Papola. Uh, uh, will that work? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> is the director of At the Fork, um, and it is quite um, a revealing film and engaging, and I urge you to see it. And Peggy and I are both sponsors of it. She is doing it through uh, Natural Awakening Chicago. I'm doing it through the Mike Novak Show. There are people like Whole Foods, Family Farmed, um, Crate Free Illinois, um, the Humane Society of the United States is involved. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. Uh, but this all starts, apparently, with your wife, Lisa, doesn't it, John? That's right. So I'm a very unlikely person to make a film about animal welfare and and, uh, and something that takes a sort of open, critical eye at the subject, because as people will see in the film, I'm a... You know, South Philly-born Italian that's really loved eating meat my whole life, and it's a huge part. I mean, my father just called me this morning saying, "We're getting the rib fest ready for the fedulos. They're coming over." <laughs> has so, he has he seen so, has he seen the film? <laughs> yes, um, of course. So, so uh, you know, when Lisa and I met, um, she had 
she is actually also from a big Italian family, and her my father-in-law, her dad, out of Michigan, is one is a big Burger King franchisee. Wow! So you can see Lisa's a little more rebellious than I am. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So she actually was responsible for getting the veggie burger on the Burger King menu, and that when that was one of the first things she told me when we met, you know, thirteen years ago. You know, I, I'm, I'm, uh, it's like, hi, my name is Lisa. I'm a vegetarian. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that was probably a good way to start, wasn't it? Then there were no illusions, right? <laughs> well, it's, you know, it's always been a source of tension for us because I go home and, and, um, and I think that's true for a lot of people. If you've got a mixed diet household, so to speak. Um, and so that we thought that was a good way. We, you know, it, it's true to us. This is the reality of our lives as it relates to this, the ethics of eating animals and, and, and thinking about the lives they live. I mean, I, I never thought about that before. I met Lisa, and then when she brought it to my attention, to be honest, it's always been something I've wanted to ignore. And, and this movie was really an effort, you know, instigated by her for me to explore this and try to do it in a way where I'm just taking it in and seeing what's really happening and not trying to bring prejudice to it. And that's, that was really the core of it for me as a director was, you know, I, I, most people just are so disconnected yeah. from this process point. It's like 0.7% of the American population farms now. So, which in a way is this sort of amazing miracle of the modern age that you can have so few people feeding so many. But the downside is we have this sort of alienation from our food supply. And when it comes to animals, you have this ethical dimension that they're living, thinking, sentient creatures. And so if you're only interacting with them as a, as a product, you just don't have any notion of that. You're, you know, you, you love your dog. You'll, people will spend thousands of dollars to treat their dog with chemo. But a pig is, is, is smarter and in many ways more sophisticated than their dog. And it's just not even a thought that they can, you know, how they live or the fact that we eat them at all. So it's a really, it's, it's, a, it's, a, very, it's a very challenging subject to try to, uh, you know, unpack without without tripping over yourself and becoming a polemicist. And that's, that's the thing I really tried to avoid as a filmmaker, and it's hard. Yeah, you know, and, and, and I think you succeeded here. Um, one of the things that you bring to this, because there's, there are a number of uh, documentaries out about food and uh, about looking at, looking at it behind the scenes and how we raise the animals humanely or inhumanely. Um, and I think what works uh, with your film, you said you tried to be objective. I think you're pretty good at it, but what really works is the first-person narrative. I'm, a, I'm an omnivore. I'm a meat-eater, and I went out to look at this. Um, and, and what you found, uh, as you say, you try to present in a non-polemic way, and I think you really, really succeed. I really appreciate that, Mike. I mean, I'm going to be honest. It was not our first thought to, to make any kind of appearance in this. We, you know, uh, and and we had uh, a number of producers uh, on this project, and, and thankfully they were. It's really everyone but Lisa and I who were saying, "You guys are the you guys are like a glue that can hold all these different disparate stories together," and and uh, <laughs> we somewhat came into it kicking and screaming in a way. So. Um, 
but it, 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 I'm, I'm happy to hear it. it. It helps people access this subject. I, I think that's it, really the, the intention. Yeah, I, I, I think it does. Um, I'm going to be talking, as you know, in just a, a couple of minutes to one of the guys who was in your film. That's Kevin Fulton. And he sort of embodies that middle-of-the-road approach, which is he's a Nebraska rancher, and he gets it from both sides. You know, the vegans think he's the devil, and the traditional farmers think he's the devil. <laughs> and uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and there totally he, true. Yeah, and the and he's in the middle trying to raise his cattle and his and his livestock humanely. He's and and then he went and and, and associated himself with the humane society, and that really made people's heads explode. Um, and yet, he's been very successful at it and and i'm and and he was one who took you to uh a huge confined animal feeding operation in nebraska with what a hundred thousand cattle you were there on a hot day watching them get sprayed with hoses yeah you know it's uh you know the film overall is is, um, is really not structured as a kind of undercover expose we we had we were very fortunate in that we, we found we were able to connect with folks that worked at very large scale facilities who were, were willing to engage this conversation. But a lot of the agriculture industry feels pretty shell shocked. Some of that I think is, you know, justified and some of it I think is, you know, uh, not. And, um, and we actually, we engaged, it was the Broken Bow uh, uh, feedlot in, out in Nebraska. And we actually engaged with those folks after the fact and tried to get on there with them and, and, and tried to, like, you know, interview the folks that are running it. So it's, um, it's, a, very, it's a very challenging thing because you have folks in agriculture who are dealing with a very volatile industry. They've got commodity prices going up and down. One year they're, they're flush, the next year they're starving and they're putting themselves in debt by a million bucks. And then, and then they've got a public who doesn't really understand anything about what they do. And so I think, I think there's a kind of wagon circling that happens. And I think some of that, in a way, I, I hope that this film can be an olive branch to those folks as much as it is to the general consumer and the public who I think really needs to take some time to think about the ethics of, of, of animal products because they're just not thinking about it, and that's really a shame. And uh, I, I know that you're busy. You're on site. What are you, what are you shooting right now? Oh, we've got um, we've, my second film is, a, is a, an exploration of how work and material well-being sort of inter, in, you know, intersects with happiness. And so what does it mean to live a happy life? What does it mean in this modern society to be busy and to pursue sort of abundance but not let it per- pervert itself into materialism and, and you know, from every side of the spectrum. So in a way, I'm trying to get at these broader macroeconomic issues that all of us are talking about. But, I, again, I want to try to bring this introspective approach to it, which I have to say, you know, in some respects can, can, can make things less dramatic because there's not obvious good guys and bad guys but just as an ethic for me i really believe that the world's a lot more complicated than that and i think we can be better people if we take the time to try to empathize with others instead of being quick to break off into tribes and yell at each other i just (laughs) had enough of that i know i have well listen i feel like yelling at you right now okay i'm I'm (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm suppressing it. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but I did want to uh, draw people's attention to the main facts, which is you can go to at the fork film dot com and find out all this information you can see that it's it's premiering in chicago on the 13th of july but it's premiering all over the country on the same day do you know how many different sites you have you know i, I don't know off the top of my head but one detail for your listeners, listeners that is important is this is very much a grassroots launch where you're working with this platform called tug and so the way tug works is that if enough people want to see the movie and if enough tickets are pre-sold in their local theater by July 1st, which is coming up, then the movie will screen. Um, and so when you go to the website you know, and you click through, you find the, the, the theater that's closest to you that has a, a tug screening. Get on, get on over to the tug site through our website and buy a ticket because you know, that theater, if it hasn't already had enough pre-sales, might not screen the movie, and it's it's so it's very much a ground a, a crowdsourcing sort of community led way to bring this movie to your town. Yeah, and um, and and I it's it's a really interesting sort of innovative distribution platform because you know in 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 in, a, in the summer you got Ghostbusters, which I'm excited to see. <laughs> you know. You know, should I go see Ghostbusters? Should I go see something about that make, might make me not want to eat meat anymore? Or maybe. So I think. Uh, <laughs> we need a double, uh, double yeah, feature. You know, I, I got <laughs> to say, though, you know, we've. We, and every, um, every time we've screened the film as we've been working on it and through to the end, what I'm struck by and what really, like, warms my heart, because it's the goal all along, is people come out to, out of it. And they say, wow, this is a really eye-opening experience. And you know what? I didn't feel judged by this. This I, got, I feel like I got to experience this, and my eyes feel opened, and I feel like my consciousness has been raised. But I didn't feel like I sat there for 90 minutes getting lectured. Yeah. And so for those of you that are hearing this and saying, you know, I don't know, do I want to see this or Ghostbusters? Well, A, see both, because Ghostbusters is awesome. But B, <laughs> you know... It's not a scary movie to go and see about this subject. No, it's not. It's, it's not. It's going to challenge you, but it's but it's it's going to invite you to think, and it's going to invite you to be a more conscious uh, consumer of animal products, whether you choose to eat them or not. Right. And honestly, whether you're a meat eater or a vegan who believes it's immoral to use animals for food, food or any other kind of product, uh, there's something in it for you, and there's something you can get out of the experience. And uh, I'll let folks know that the uh, the easiest way to do that, who are people listening to my show, is to go to MikeNovak.net. It's right on the homepage, right at the top. You just click on uh, the uh, link there to reserve your ticket. You don't have to worry about seeing it in uh, Minnesota. Uh, just come to Chicago here and, and do that. And uh, I will tell folks that uh, on, on the site... Uh, there's also, you have uh, uh, Take the Fork Challenge, 21 Days of Meal Plans, Recipes, and Ethical Eating Tips, if folks want to get even more involved in that. Um, at this point, I think, uh, oh, and by the way, that again is at theforkfilm.com uh, for all that. Or to reserve a ticket, go to my website, mikenovak.net, click right on uh, at the top of the page. Uh, John Papola, um, uh, thank you so much. I know you're busy, and I need to get to my farmers uh, and talk to them on the show. Uh, and uh, um, I hope I uh, I see you uh, at some point at one of the screenings. That, 
Mike, thanks for having me on, and thanks so much for supporting the film and promoting it. It means a lot to us, and I hopefully it can make an impact for folks in your audience. That is our goal. Thanks a lot. I will talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Did you know that Genesis is the Midwest's largest source of airbrush supplies? Find out more at chicagoairbrushsupply.com or artsupply.com. Or stop into their showroom at 2525 North Elston and say that you heard about them on Q4 Radio and get an extra 10% off their already discounted prices all month long. Genesis, Chicago's only privately owned art supplier serving all of Chicago's artistic framing and drafting needs since 1946. So you've heard Mike say many times on this program, it's the biology, stupid. When he says that, well, he's usually talking about the soil and how certain chemicals and certain horticultural practices can wreak havoc with the macroscopic and microscopic critters down there. But the same thing applies to critters you can actually see, like birds and insects and amphibians and reptiles and mammals. If you don't give them a good home, they're going to pack up and leave, or worse, simply stop reproducing. That's where natural communities' native plants come in. Natural communities' native plants are locally grown and sourced, featuring more than 150 species native to the Chicago region. And those plants have been working for thousands of years with our local pollinators and other critters. That's why you should garden with native plants. And in Chicagoland, the way to do that is with natural communities' native plants. Go to naturalcommunities.net. Uh, you there, Kevin? Yeah, this is Kevin. Hey, All Kevin. Right. Great. I am going to uh, bring in, uh, add um, Chris to uh, the conversation. Hang on one second while I... Hey, Chris, are you there? Yep, I'm here. Uh, hey, Ke- hey, Kevin, you, you still with me, Kevin? Yep. All right, look at this. All righty. We've got Kevin Fulton on the phone. He's a Nebraska rancher. He created the Nebraska and National Agricultural Advisory Council to the Humane Society of the United States. He's now the chairperson. Chris Peterson is an Iowa. Chris, do you prefer being a called a rancher or a farmer? Uh, family farmer. Family farmer, good. He's a, a family farmer in Iowa, a board member and past president of the Iowa Farmers Union. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. I know Sundays, Sunday mornings are probably busy for you. Uh, what's it like out in Nebraska this morning, Kevin? It's kind of hot and sunny and kind of humid, too. Um, Are you going to get any rain, or is it just going to be hot and humid? Just hot and humid. The rain's kind of hit and miss this time of year. Yeah, and uh, so it's probably pretty similar out in Iowa, Chris, I would imagine. Oh, yeah. I'm going to get off the phone here a little later. I'm going to go say bailing weather. Uh, Bailing, yeah. You know, I wrote to you the other day, and you were bailing. You said, I'll get back to you when I'm done bailing. (laughs) It's... uh, (laughs) It's not a problem I have in Chicago, actually. Except um, in your basement, maybe. <laughs> uh, the reason you guys are on is because, uh, well, first of all, Kevin, you're in the film at the Fork, um, and um, uh, you're you're the. Not only are you in the middle of the film, you're the guy caught in the middle. I, I mentioned that. I don't know if you were listening to my conversation with John uh, just a second ago. Uh, yeah. But what is it? like to be a guy who's practicing sustainable practices in the middle of nebraska in a in a world uh that or an industry that still does it as they say conventionally and i'm using air quotes for convention well it's great because i'm doing what i love and you know for me life has never been about the you know a popularity contest it's always been about 
doing what I think is right and what I think is best for myself, my family, my neighbors, the land, the animals, and so forth. So, um, you know, I, I mean, I do get caught up in the middle, as like you suggested, but that tells me that I'm right where I want to be, the reasonable middle ground, and that's where these battles are won and lost. The people on the extreme fringes are not part of the solution. When you started your connection, major connection with the Humane Society, how hard was it to get uh, other farmers to understand what you were trying to do, even if they disagreed with you? Um, you know, it was it was challenging, but here in Nebraska, you know, I have a lot of respect in the sustainable and ag community, and I've you know served in a lot of leadership positions on, on various uh, organizations ag related. So I think there were some people that were skeptical, but they trusted me and. Uh, they came on board, um, so you know it's uh, it's all turned out good. <laughs> you're you're, for the most you're part. well, and and part of the reason, and and this is always meant. I, I can't believe how many uh, uh, news stories are out there, links uh, to things you've done, Kevin, um, and they almost always mention that for a long time you were a weightlifter. In fact, you're famous for picking up what are the two stones in in. Was it Ireland or Scotland? Um, yeah, I lifted the, the legendary Denny Stones in, in Scotland. I was the second American, one of only a handful of men to ever lift them. Um, yeah, I was 41 years old when I did, did that. Uh, they weigh 775 pounds. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so this is why people don't mess with you, right? Well, I, mean, I, don't, get, I don't get criticized in my face, <laughs> but, you know, I, I get a lot of criticism, you know, behind the scenes, and, uh, you know, and that's fine. But, but okay, and, and, and let's switch over to Chris. Isn't that part of the problem, though, is that even if people don't criticize you to your face, they can mess with you behind the scenes because you've encountered this before. Uh, uh, one of the things you should know, and it's on my website, MikeNovak.net, I have uh, links to a, a couple of clips from 60 Minutes that you were on in the year 2000 uh, talking about Farm Bureau, and you were you were pretty outspoken in those days. Uh so it, it's if a farmer goes in the wrong direction, is he or she subject to backlash? Yeah, I, I hear it, but I'm kind of like Kevin. You know, I treat everybody re- with respect, friend or foe, but I'm very willing to stand up and speak out and say they're wrong. And farmers caught in the middle, you know. Kevin, as I am, I believe in doing things in a sustainable, socially acceptable way. And this let me make the point that hundreds of thousands of farmers have been family farmers, good people who take care of the land, take care of the animals, take care of the environment, take care of their Main Street communities. They've been thrown under the bus over this thing. Rural America is being depopulated. Uh, it's being replaced with large-scale industrialized corporate agriculture, and it's totally wrong. And you know, I, I see it. I, I also, you know, I, I do some work with social responsible ag projects, and I see these neighborhoods being ripped apart by outsiders big industrial ag coming in. And by being ripped apart, I mean the culture, the community. You have two sides to this, everything. Everything going on. And then after these folks come in, the neighborhood is split for good. Whereas before you had 
solid, good neighbors, you know. So there's a whole bunch of things going on in, in rural America, which is not in the best interest of the consumers, the environment, the animals, um, you know, the, the food security of this country. You know, one of the things uh, about that, you talk the best interests of, of farmers and of people in the communities um, I want to say about a month ago, maybe a little longer than that, on this show, I ran a piece of tape. Uh, well, that's that's dating me. Okay, I ran a recording um, uh, from a judge in Illinois in a CAFO case uh, asking a Department of Ag lawyer whether the state of Illinois had ever said no to one of these facilities. And the lawyer was kind of taken aback, kind of caught off guard. And she said, uh, well, I, I have no record of that. I, can't really, I, I really can't say I have no record of that. It was almost uh, an indictment that in these states, the, the big companies come in, massive amounts of money, um, and massive numbers of livestock, and they plop them down in the middle of communities. And as you said, Chris, they tear those communities apart. With, with this. Uh, and there, of course, their argument is, hey, we're only bringing jobs. What's wrong with that argument, Chris? Well, uh, you know, define jobs. Um, that, that's the first thing. I was uh, part of the leadership who uh, basically uh, told Prestige uh, Farms to not to leave and not build a packing plant in Mason City, Iowa. Within the city limits, uh, at full steam, this packing plant would have would have been a kill plant. Would have been twenty thousand head of hogs a day. Number one, that's a twenty thousand head hog confinement within the city limits of Mason City, Iowa. Number two, the scale of things it's getting out of hand. I don't care if they're talking about packing plants, banks, or whatever. Uh, it's getting out of hand. It's hard to manage. It's hard to control, and. You know, we need to get back in this country to enforcing antitrust laws, competition laws, and, and, and stuff like that. And so, yeah, you know, huge problems. And it's the same with animal factories. So they're just getting the risk. The bigger they get, the larger the risk. Uh, let's go back to Kevin. Um, Kevin, uh, Chris was talking about the damage caused by confined animal feeding operations in, in, in cities. Um, and and a huge part of that damage, as at the Fork Film shows, is to the animals themselves. I mean, yeah, as Chris was mentioning, for the people in, in the communities, for farmers, it can hurt them. But you raise your livestock humanely. What what are the effects of, of, of putting animals in these really inhumane conditions? Well, I think the, the effects are far-reaching. First of all, it's inhumane to the animals. Uh, a lot of times they can't move. They, or in, this, in the case of a feedlot that's uh, illustrated in the film, these animals are in conditions where they're, they're subject to heat stress in the summer, um, the stresses of the winter without proper you know, wind breaks and stuff uh, when the wind chills are, are low. Um, but then also you have the environmental Concerns, odor, water contamination, 
Um, so it affects the community around you. And then, of course, there's the uh, uh, food safety issues that you see. Um, you just you know Google that and see all the recalls for meats uh, in our industrial food sector. Uh, that's a huge concern. Um, so it's it's far-reaching environmental, animal welfare, um, takes animals off the land, and that's why we have the demise of our rural areas out here. When the animals moved off the land, so did the people. And we will never, in my opinion, we will never return to a vibrant rural economy unless we bring these animals back on the land. When you do that, you need more labor. And people say, oh, that's that's the, uh, the negative part of grass-based, organic farming, sustainable farming. No, that's the great thing about it is that, you know, I need more workers on my farm than most conventional farms that are 10 times my size. Yeah. So we bring jobs back to the community. We have more people in the community, and that and it brings a lot of stability compared to one giant feedlot or one giant ethanol plant. And when they go, when they close down, then you have hundreds of people without work. Uh, we need to double the number of farms that we have out here or triple the number of farms and the people that are working on them. So it's, I mean, you can go on and on about the, the effects of, of these factory farms or CAFOs. One of the things in the film that we see, Kevin, is is you taking John and Lisa, uh, where they they shoot. I mentioned it when I was talking to John. Uh, part of the what they shot there was a uh, uh, a beef uh, ranch, um, and um, you see on film one of the the employees comes up, asks what you're doing, and I understand the sheriff got involved in that as well. The reason I bring it up is because uh, more and more in this country we're seeing, well, maybe not more and more, but we have seen ag gag, so-called ag gag laws pass, which uh, prohibit people from you know standing across the street and taking a photo. Did you get in any trouble for 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 taking John to this particular plant, and were there any repercussions? No, we didn't get any trouble. We we weren't breaking any laws, and the sheriff even told us we weren't. And, and the employees knew that we weren't. They were just trying to, you know, intimidate us and bully us. So that doesn't work really well with me. Um, <laughs> it wasn't the first. It wasn't the first time that's happened out there, and they've never been able to chase me off. I'll go up there as many times as I want and film. And I told them that. And there is no ag-gag law in Nebraska. I helped defeat that. I testified against it in the Senate Judiciary Committee hearing. And um, But there are states that are passing those laws. And if there was such a law in Nebraska, then we wouldn't have been able to do what, what we did. But, um, you know, the sheriff just came out because he, he got the call, and he came out just to check things out, and he just talked to us, and, and that was it. Um, and we continued to film. Uh, Chris, uh, what about Iowa? What's the situation there? Yeah, um, we do have an ag gag law. I was president of Iowa Farmers Union at that time. We fought that thing tooth and nail. We got it watered down as much as we could, but the power of the industry and their lobbyists and certain politicians and the power of Farm Bureau, they got it passed in the state. So it's out there. And, you know, some of these states have passed these laws. They're being challenged in the courts and, you know, as I understand, Idaho is just the first one to fall. There's going to be other ones falling. The sooner the better. And as far as the animal goes, I do Berkshire's and traditional raised you know, and bedding and everything else. And, you know, you start talking about economic development and jobs and family farms and rebuilding Main Street and vibrant economies. 
94% of the independent pig farmers are gone. There's a great big void out here. And, you know, as Kevin said, rural America is emptying out. And putting these animals, pigs, in these tin buildings, they call factory farms with a manure pit underneath. What a life. Okay. The antibiotics, 82%, approximately 82% of all the antibiotics in this country go into livestock. 80% of those antibiotics are used not to treat sickness, but as a growth promotant. You start talking about antibiotics, resistance, wearing out antibiotics, the, the MRSA issues. Uh, this, this is a direct threat to the public health of the people of this country. And with the treatment of the animals and the antibiotics and, and the, the environmental de- degradation, um, Quite frankly, I was being turned into a toilet. Our rivers are the flush handle. This, this could be and should be totally unacceptable and unexcusable to the people in this country, especially the consumers. I'm sorry, I'm still sort of reeling here about how our rivers are toilets and should have flush handles. Um, and, and that's part of the problem, um, is, uh, you know, and, you know, you guys represent Iowa and Nebraska, and I've been following it with, um, the various groups, uh, here in Illinois. And, uh, there have been, uh, there's a, there's a CAFO that went up, uh, just down the road from, um, Abraham Lincoln's young adult home. So it doesn't seem to matter where they are or who they affect. Uh, these companies just uh, sort of run rampant in that. And, of course, uh, I learned that from the Illinois Citizens for Clean Air and Water and from SRAP. And, and, and um, it just blows me away that we don't have as much power. Um, I wanted to get back uh, to you, Kevin, because one of the things you're fond of saying is, and I've seen you quoted several times, is about, the animals, and other people have said this before, but you were quoted as about the animals having one bad day. Can you talk about that? Yeah, I mean, the goal on our farm is to make sure that our farm animals have only one bad day in their life, and that's the same bad day that we're all going to have. In fact, most of those have, you know, more than a few bad days in our life. And, and certainly the animals in nature have, uh, do not, most of them do not get a humane death, and of course, humane being a relative term. But uh, we all are going to die someday, and we just try to make that uh, experience as quickly and painlessly as, as possible. And that's in contrast to animals in these factory farms, and they only have one good day. I mean, they have one good day in their, in their entire lives, and that's the day the misery ends for them. And that's a pathetic way to live, and it's a disgrace to our industry, the way those animals are treated and the way they're confined in, in ways that they can't even move a lot of times. and and certainly can't exhibit their instinctive behaviors for the most part. But isn't the flip side of that, um, Kevin, that you get attached to your animals? How do you deal with that? Well, we do get attached to some of our animals, and we've, we've got some animals around that, that, that we still have simply because we got attached to them. Um, you know, and that's just, that's just one of the things that we do have. I mean, I have, right now I have over 1,000 animals running on grass out here on pasture, most mainly cattle and sheep, and, um, you know, so we don't we don't have an individual bond with every animal, but nonetheless, we see every animal, you know, on a daily basis, usually more than once, and 
even if we don't have an attachment to that animal, its well-being is still a high priority for us. And, yeah, I mean, it's certainly uh, we think about what we're doing and why we're doing it. Um, I don't have a problem, you know, ethically with eating meat, but at the same time I think uh, we need to treat the animals with respect and not be wasteful in, our, in the way that we use them. Um, and it's just, you know, part of our, uh, I mean, it's just one of the part of the cycles of life. Yeah. Yeah. Let me, let... Humans are animals and I don't, I don't see philosophically, I don't see any difference between a human taking an animal's life for food than, uh, when I see a hawk come down and grab a rabbit and rip it to shreds and carry it off, you know, fly away with it. Uh, and I think we can do a lot better job in the way we manage and handle, uh, our part in that cycle of life. Have you met Temple Grandin? Yes, I have. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually Just one time briefly. But. Me too. I ran into her in a bookstore in Chicago. Believe it or not, oh. a couple of years yeah. ago, she was uh, she had a book out and she was doing a tour and it was at Women and Children First in the North Side of Chicago and my partner Kathleen was uh, with me and I got a picture because Kathleen's been a huge fan of Grandin Temples for a long time and um, I got a photo of them which I posted. Uh, on my website um, and she's part of the film as well and and one of the things she's helping you guys do and uh, other ranchers is how to reduce the stress on the livestock even more it's like you, you want them to have only one bad day and even that one bad day it really should be you know five bad minutes or so or, or 30 seconds or whatever it takes to kill the animal right yeah yeah uh, i agree I was just going to mention that one of my good friends and mentors is a colleague of Dr. Grandin at, at CSU, Dr. Bernard Rollin, who's written 20 books and I don't know, hundreds of research papers on farm animal welfare. He, he's the one that actually brought Temple to, to CSU many, many years ago. And I've known Bernie for over 30 years, and he's a, a, another great example of someone that's trying to um, you know, work with the industry to improve the welfare of farm animals. and. So I worked pretty closely with him on, on some various projects as well. Well, gentlemen, we need to wrap it up. I think, uh, Chris, I have to uh, let you uh, have the last word. I meant to, to, to say earlier that the Socially Responsible Agricultural Product um, is, uh, is one of the people who's you know been helping me in Illinois. I know you're associated with them, um, and uh, they, they give me heads up. Uh, Karen Hudson, um, you know, and then Jessica Chipkin from Crate Free Illinois. Uh, I'm glad to have such allies, and it's good to have folks like you out there um, helping change things. Uh, and I guess that's my final question: Are we changing things? Is uh, it's it seems as if big business gets bigger and bigger. Are we having any success at all, Chris? Oh yeah, you know I, I've been in this fight big time the last twenty plus years, and when this movement started. I had some very, very lonely days. I have met lots of good people over the years. We've built a force to be reckoned with. Uh, we played a lot of defensive ball in the past. Um, we have the hearts of the consumers on our side. Um, it's time to go on the offensive. And as, as far as animal husbandry versus animal science, you know, none of the uh, land grants teach animal husbandry anymore, and we need to get back to that. And, and the gut station crate things, just in the minds of your listeners here, 
how would you like to be a pregnant pig? It's called a sow. Be put in these gestation crates for 16 weeks. That, that's the full cycle of pregnancy. All they can do is stand up or lay down on their belly. Okay, as a farmer, I couldn't do that to a pig. Maybe the industry come, can, but I can't. And that's, that's the difference. And, you know, what is now called, what Kevin and I do, uh, what is now called niche or alternative, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, whatever, this was mainstream agriculture in America. We had vibrant communities, treated animals right. We fed this country. We exported. We done everything. and. Between the politicians and the industry and everybody else on the other side, that's what they have done to the family farm. It's totally unnecessary. I am so excited that I had the two of you guys together. Um, as I mentioned on my website, I called you guys troublemakers, and I think uh, Kevin, I don't know if it was Chris or Kevin, responded on Facebook yesterday. And um, have you guys... You, you guys don't get together to duke it out, and not against each other, but to duke it out with the uh, the farm industry, the uh, the ag, ag, big ag, let me put it that way, uh, very often. But it's been such a pleasure to have uh, both of you uh, on the show this morning. Well, thanks for having us. Um, and and uh, I hope uh, we have this uh, conversation again. I guess we need to uh, to continue to do this and uh chris i'm i'm glad you ended on on such a positive note that's uh, it's it's good to hear that uh that that is the uh, d- direction we're headed in uh gentlemen thanks again and uh like i said uh, i hope we i get to meet you in person and i hope we talk soon absolutely all right take care thanks bye-bye yeah, bye bye it's the mike novak show on q4 radio thank you for listening and um as we officially cross into summer it means that uh, the month of June is officially winding down. Um, Rick DeMaio will be here to tell you about it in just a second, which means that you have very little time to grab a copy of the May-June issue of Chicagoland Gardening Magazine. It has articles about fragrant plants, how to grow the best tomatoes, a secret recipe for quick compost, a nature play garden for kids in the little village neighborhood of Chicago, how a suburban garden club learned how to promote native plants, and a story about the plant in Chicago – as in the plant, the former meat packing facility on the south side that is now home to a fish hatchery, a brewery, and an anaerobic digester. It also has my column on the inside back page. Talk about being difficult to digest. Chicagoland Gardening Magazine, a publication of state-by-state gardening magazines. Go to chicagolandgardening.com. But if you're in other parts of the Midwest or the South, try one of the 21 magazines in those regions by going to statebystategardening.com. Call 888-265-3600. 888-265-3600. And before we break and bring in Rick DeMaio, uh, let's plug the site one more time for At The Fork. It's attheforkfilm.com, or you can go to mikenovak.net and get all the links for where to get your tickets yeah, for the July 13th event. Right, July 13th, and what is it, 7 p.m., I, 7.30? And, uh, it's right around there. <laughs> I don't remember the exact time. But um, the point is... 7 got, p.m. to 8.30. Okay, and we got to sell those tickets now so they can reserve the space. So by the end of the show, I want to see a few more reservations on there. This is the, uh, the at the Forkathon. Um, on the Mike Novak show. So w- 
Peggy and I, we're not going off the air until... <laughs> Like some more tickets until some more tickets are sold. So you guys better do that right now. Trying to weather the housing market? Consider replacing your windows and siding. Remodeling Magazine says they're some of the nation's most popular projects today. Trust DR Services Unlimited, 847-998-1687 for all your remodeling and energy needs. Rated A-plus by the Better Business Bureau and recommended on Angie's List. DR is a proud member of NARI. DR provides exceptional quality at a fair price. Contact DR at 847-998-1687 or at RestoreTheNorthShore.com. Did you know Chicagoans are getting healthier all the time? Hi, I'm Peggy, and I know this is true because for six years I've been publishing Natural Awakening, Chicago's greenest and healthiest magazine. And if you want your message to reach this growing market, you do need to get your business in front of our readers. Why? Because our advertisers tell us that our targeted readers are committed to improving their health and ready to take action. That's more than 80,000 people in Chicagoland who will respond to your message. They're looking for holistic wellness practitioners, integrative doctors and dentists, nutritionists, health coaches, yoga instructors, even home improvement and landscape experts. Natural Awakenings is a free monthly magazine available in more than 1,100 locations throughout Cook, Lake, and McHenry counties. Call me today to expand your market and grow your business. 847-858-3697. That's 847-858-3697. Natural Awakenings. Feel good, live simply, laugh more. It's not just your garden. It's the way you live. And there's so much to know. But you have help. Bonnie Plants. Now with Bonnie's app, Homegrown, you can learn about veggie and herb varieties, track and record your garden with photos and notes, share on Facebook and Twitter, and so much more. How'd you ever grow without it? Get Homegrown with Bonnie Plants for iPhone and Android. The more you know, the better you can grow with Bonnie. Yeah, I I need something a little... uh mellow at the at the moment this is uh you know sometimes do, do you ever feel like a salmon swimming upstream <laughs> peggy um yeah exactly that's what she's doing uh rick DeMaio, do you ever feel like a salmon sw- swimming upstream what, what, what was that mike <laughs> just wondering if you he's out in the pool right now are you yeah are you do you have a mint julep out there in in the pool <laughs> No, I'm walking my dog. I met a lovely lady who's um, uh, also walking her dog. So uh, both of the dogs said hi to each other and had a stereo tail wagging contest. <laughs> oh, I love cell phones. That's right. You love that? Yeah, you can do any anything you want at all. Uh, yeah, and, and the thing about a dog's life, it's all it's all they're they're gender happy, right? They don't care who they're sniffing. <laughs> you know, that's true. It just, just doesn't seem to matter at all. Uh, I, I think that's how we should go through life, don't you think? We should all wear dog dog costumes with um, with little tails, and and the tail going up would mean you know we're on your side, and the tail going down mean you're not on our side, and and then whatever what, whatever takes us forward after that, I don't know. Sounds like sounds like a nice way of going through well, life. Well, right? the one thing I will say is that for a dog um, or even a cat, the tail gives them away. Oh you know? yeah, mm-hmm. you know? I don't know about a cat. Does a cat really wag their tail? 
my cat does. Not wag, but the, the tail, when, when the cat's happy, the tail just starts moving around. It starts right, right. doing a, a like cat, a... A cat, it's more like, like whatever. And the dog's like, oh, my God. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. There's the difference. Yeah. And look, there, look, there's another potential friend. <laughs> <laughs> right. A cat is too cool to do any anything oh, yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, speaking of cool, um, it's not. Um, it's right, right. But I got to tell you, the the week has been very odd uh, in keeping mm-hmm. with the, the spring, where it seems like one day it's ninety two, and the next day yeah. it, it's seventy, and then it's ninety again, and then right, it's right, yeah. wow. That's uh, and, and and even and even yesterday the lake breeze actually had uh, kicked all the way westward um, into the Page County. I mean, we had a lake breeze literally uh, Friday and Saturday, and and it was kind of interesting because Wednesday we had a very strong lake breeze, which kept temperatures pretty much in like the upper sixties and near seventy degrees. And then as we we typically see during the late evening hours, when the you know the differential heating between the urban heat island and the lake really begins to basically equalize at that point um the lake breeze dies and then you end up getting a west wind and by about 9 30 10 o'clock at night the temperature in the downtown area or along the lakefront can actually jump 10 degrees i, I always i always love that this time of the year when the lake breeze actually dies at night and it's almost warm in the evening but um yeah no lake breeze today we're under you know strong southwest wind and um the atmosphere is begun to moisten up a little bit. You can actually see some nice puffy cumulus clouds, an indication of a little bit more humidity in the atmosphere. Uh, and some of those may actually be a little bit of rain late, late, late tonight and into tomorrow. But, you know, like that, that should be about it. Other than some rain on Wednesday, I think the, you know, the word to note to gardeners today in the next probably seven days is, uh, is dryness. Yeah, you, you sent me that yesterday, and I was looking at the map, and it it's weird because it seems like the Chicago. Well, actually, uh, the dry area seems to be Wisconsin, Michigan, and northern Illinois, and then ringed around that is is a fair amount of rain. Yeah, and 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 I think the best chance is probably going to be now. It looks like Wednesday. Uh, there's going to be a good shot of rain coming through, and it, it it's interesting because I talked about this last week. The pattern has definitely set itself up. Um, for a heat dome out west, and every once in a while, you drag in a weak area of low pressure uh, with elevated, what we call elevated convection, meaning that the thunderstorm has developed, you know, uh, well high up into the atmosphere. They, they don't really get rooted from the surface. They develop out across the plain state, usually late at night, and they come rolling through here, um, kind of like what happened on, on Thursday, or I should say Wednesday night into Thursday, if you remember that. Um, and then that was the same cluster um, that actually, you know, gave the U.S. Open in Oakmont, Pennsylvania, which I've been watching because I just I love seeing how these old golf courses uh, make it so difficult for the good golfers to play good golf. And being that I'm not a good golfer, I like to see good golfers struggle. <laughs> I, I do too. I, you know, and I have to I have to admit I I, I kind of watch uh, golf myself uh, on television, and 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 I think it's the, the same reason that you do, which is. It is really heartening to see the best golfers in the world struggle mightily. Um, yeah, and and, it, and it's such a beautiful natural setting. I mean, I've played golf many times before in eastern Pennsylvania. That have you know this, this particular course is right along the Allegheny Mountains, um, and you know they have that kind of that that spiny look to them. 
and and next year, and I don't want this to turn into a sports segment, but but next year the U.S. Open is up in Erin Hills, Wisconsin, which is a really really small course that that has a couple of farmhouses on it. And and Mike, I'm already making plans to bring my dad out here next year to go see it. And it's it's in literally about an hour and a half northwest of of Milwaukee, and about an hour and a half northeast of Madison. And it's literally in the middle of nowhere. But it's one of these old, just it looks like looks like someone took a whole bunch of dairy fields and decided to make the golf course out of it. And that's what I think what's great about the U.S. Open. You know, it's not like the Phoenix Open or some of these other places where it's a well-manicured private course. It's in the middle of nowhere. And I, and I think that's what makes that part of, of the game of golf, you know, interesting to those people who find it boring. It's a very beautiful, natural setting. And as long as you keep it natural and don't, over-fertilize the lawns and things like that. It's meant to be played that way, and I think this course and next week is, is going to be kind of that way. But before I get too far away what I was saying, the rain that came through last week rained out that part of western Pennsylvania, and that line moved all the way into the Carolinas within 24 hours, and that's the kind of pattern we're in. Warm weather, a couple of cool days, a little bit of rain, and then that's it. But I'm getting kind of worried because now with this heat, that's been building, and you only really need a lot of heat, but a lot of sunshine will do it. You evaporate about a third of an inch of water out of the ground each day. So even though the lawns look green this week, we could be looking at some yellowing lawns by the end of next week and probably after that as well. Yeah, I'm not worried so much about my lawn. I'm worried about keeping my tomatoes watered and, properly. And Right, and tomatoes and other fruits and vegetables, obviously, as, as well. I should have said that. Well, that, no, that's okay. I mean, I, I understand that. and uh, But a lot of people, what I will say to them is let your lawn go dormant and water right. your tomatoes. Exactly right. <laughs> right. Uh, but, you it's know. Because the lawn, as we all know, you know, some of these roots, you know, go down a couple of inches. But it's the plants or the flowers, you know, the, the annuals that people have put in the soil you know, maybe, you know, a week and a half or, or I should say a month and a half ago, you know, that, that top two inches of soil, boy, not only can it dry up or warm up, but, you know, if you're gone for two or three days or forget about it, those things are toast. They're done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so so it, it, it's, it's definitely looking like a very dry pattern over the long term, even though we'll get some rain interspersed, you know, by three or four days, that might not be enough. And, and sure enough, it, it bore it out over the last three or four days with very, very warm temperatures in the Central Plains. But, again, we were kind of protected by the lake. Yep. We were spoiled here. Um, and, 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 <laughs> yeah. and, and, well, and one of the things it does, unfortunately, it draws our attention away from the fact that May was the hottest month ever recorded, okay? Yeah. We, uh, here we go again. How many, how many uh, months in a row is that a record? Uh, I, I think it's 15, although it did, it did um, show that um, even though it was the warmest month ever, um, the, the increase from what it was the previous month was the smallest increase. So that's a little bit of good news. Um, but what, what remains, you know, the anomaly more than anything is not the land but the ocean and the sea surface. Um, you know, I was looking at this, you know, new potential tropical, you know, disturbance, which could actually become a tropical storm, Again, in the southern areas of the uh, Bay of Campeche, that's the southern areas of the Gulf of Mexico, um, the water temperature down there is a phenomenal 85 degrees. And, and I'm looking at this, I'm like, this is like three or four degrees above normal. And, you know, a couple of weeks ago I talked about how, you know, usually you don't get a lot of storms this time of year, but with the fact that the heat has already built out across the western United States, 
usually when you get this massive dome of heat, you push the jet stream, you know, way up north into areas of, you know, northern California and the upper Midwest, uh, and you end up with very light winds aloft over the southern United States and the Gulf of Mexico and the Bay of Campeche, and that alone um, won't do it, but warm sea surface temperatures and low-level convergence, those three things, uh, and, of course, weak upper-level upper level winds, uh, allow storms to develop. And it does look now that this storm could become a tropical storm and affect areas of the Gulf of Mexico um, later this week. But still, I was looking at water temperatures off the coast of, of, uh, of Texas and also Louisiana and Florida and even the Carolinas, and they're all in the low 80s, which is about 2 to 3 degrees warmer than normal. And, you know, even though there's been reports that this could be a near-average hurricane season, um, it's not starting off that way. <laughs> so so things, things are already looking a little bit dicey for the Gulf Coast and possibly the Caribbean as well. Though this is still the Caribbean. Uh, it's not, the, it's not the, the Gulf Coast, or I should say the Caribbean, or the, um, I should say this is the Gulf of Mexico, this isn't the Caribbean. So we'll see if that bears out anything to worry about through the month of July. But it, it's getting active a little bit too early. Mm. And, may, and maybe and maybe getting some people nervous along the Gulf Coast. I don't know. We're both nervous here. We both went mm, <laughs> at the same time. Um, well, you so that is that stage is set. And of course, in the West, we continue to have wildfires, um, and uh, that's that's not a pretty sight either. No, no. Uh, Phoenix made it up to one eleven yesterday. Uh, they didn't break the record of one fifteen, but. Uh, they're expected to get to about 115 today, uh, but but the heat has been more so um, across um, uh, more so New Mexico, western Texas. Both of those states had had temperatures between 105 and 108. Uh, so it's been more so to the west that that this has been um, this has been developing, and 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 while parts of Arizona um, again and parts of you know the southwest did have some decent mountain snow from El Nino. A lot of that actually evaporated and melted very, very quickly um, after they got it. So they didn't get the percolation or the infiltration that they were hoping for. Um, and with some of this heat, I was leading to seeing some of the, the smoke plumes off the visible satellite in parts of California and also Arizona. And this was in, you know, some barren areas in the east where, you know, it, it's one of these things, Mike, where, it's not like the Department of Natural Resources doesn't want to fight these fires. They see them there, uh, but they know that if they start getting, you know, involved too early, you know, they'll run out of their resources before they get to the end of the fire season, which is more so in like August and even into September. So it, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, think about it this way. You're a substitute teacher, all right, and it's Monday, and you got the class you know, high school, you know, we'll call them derricks, right? We'll be nice here. All the way through Friday. At what point do you start losing your cool and yelling every day? You almost have to, like, manage your resources and say, okay, do we fight this fire? Do we let it burn out? Is the weather condition going to take care of it? Or do we go out there and fight every fire all the time? Which is, you know, remember what they were doing in Yellowstone all the time. And next thing they realized that they were allowing literally all this fuel to basically pile up. So this is one of those questions that becomes really, really difficult, is at what point do you intervene with Mother, mother Nature, because we know that forest fires are natural, and at what point do you fight them, you know, right. head up, and, uh, and, 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 that, and that's, that's, that's always a tough one. Well, yeah, and, and it's something I've discussed before, and I really should again, is that forestry management uh, as a science is is uh, conflicted about this, as you say, and there. 
sometimes they say, well, you, you, you need to clear out the brush and you need to thin out the forests. And then some people will mm-hmm. say, will say, well, yeah, you're just, uh, but you're taking advantage and exploiting the resource. And it's, um, very complex, um, and hard to know, uh, because na- nature has its own agenda. Um, right. <laughs> and, and, and I, and, I, I and, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, and, and no, and we found out that that the, the cycle of wildfires um, is actually good for the environment to some extent. <laughs> it's, it, it's like anything, yes. every once in a while, yes. you know, your mom will say, okay, I'm not telling this to you, but if you get an opening, get a good shot and then look the other way. <laughs> you know, and like if the teacher's not doing anything about it, go in and, and you know, take care of your own, your own bully. Uh, and that's, I think, the way it is with, with you know, with, with, um, with wildfires. You, you kind of have to pick and choose now. And again, we've talked about this before, the, the amount, the, the, uh, the population increase into the urban wildlife area uh, is going higher and higher. You know, That's just, a problem. Two mm-hmm. months, yeah, they just, you know, two months ago, National Geographic, you know, published this really wonderful article about Yellowstone and the fact that the national parks, you know, are, have reached their, you know, 100-year anniversary. Um, Yellowstone back in 1972 had its centennial. And between 1972, Mike, and 2015, Yellowstone's population of, of, of people coming to see it has doubled. And the thing about it is the park services haven't doubled. They no. haven't added any more roads. They've added a few parking lots. But, you know, what, what, the, what the park superintendent said was what's, what's good for Disney is not good for Yellowstone. You know, while they want people to come to the parks, they also want to do it in a manageable way. Um, and that's a, I think about that, that's a tough one, you know, and, and in addition to that, making sure that, you know, a lot of the international visitors coming to these, you know, parks are aware of the potential dangers of, of, you know, walking six feet up to a bison and doing a selfie. <laughs> and next thing you know, you're mounted by the bison. Um, yeah. so yeah, I, I think every time when we talk about, you know, natural environments, as much as we want people to, you know, enjoy them respect them and understand them, you know, those three things are, are really key. And, and that's tough. And it seems to be less and less getting into the minds of the millennials. They, I don't know. They just, I don't know if they, if they, if they really have the same type of care that, you know, maybe our generation had, you know, back in the seventies and eighties when we were in, you know, high school and college. I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's, if that's clicking in. If it, if it is, it's probably not the same percentage of population as it was, you know, last generation. Well, there's a lot more people, A, and um, it's, uh, you know, uh, you, you talked about the uh, there's no money going into the parks that's the other thing is that uh, our our government um it, you know our our paralyzed government refuses to fund our, our our national parks and so they're going to heck in a handbag uh you know on the 100th anniversary you would think that would be an excellent time to put a little back into them but i i don't see that happening um well- well, I, I sent my fifty bucks in last month, so hopefully that'll help. Well, good for you. That that'll fix everything. That's good. Um, before I let you go, I did get a question yeah. from from listener Sandra Henry, who says there's uh, the pattern over the last few years: wetter early spring, dry June, July, August, September. What do you think, Rick? Um, yeah, I, w- I would agree with that. It, it seems that you know you you develop these mean troughs that's the area where the axis of of low pressure systems are developing um has been over the central united states 
and now it's shifted into the Pacific Northwest. And while we may not be, you know, quote, hot, it, it definitely looks like we get into a drying pattern. Um, and, you know, this is, what, this is why, why sometimes climate data can be misleading, because if you get, say, four events, of 0.8 inches, you know, each event is 0.8 inches, those four events add up to 3.2 inches of rain. Now, if you're expecting 3.5 inches of rain for the month, which is normal, but you get it only on four days, and the other 28 days, are, or those are 27 days, are, are dry, eh, the, the climate variability does not bode well for a, for a decent growing season, um, which is why I think it, it, it makes us, I think, in a good way, you know, more understanding and more manageable, and not just weekend gardeners, Mike, which you know there are a lot of, uh, but your, you know, your Monday, Wednesday, Friday night, Saturday, Sunday gardeners, where people are spending maybe a little bit more time uh, looking at the smaller things in their yard. So, you know, may, maybe this is a way of just educating us all in, in, in a better, you know, maybe more comprehensive manner. It, it, you can always learn from something. Some of us can learn from something. Some of us can't. Uh, all right, we need a forecast, Mr. DeMaio. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so for Father's Day 2016, uh, 91 for a high. A <laughs> um, few clouds. It'll be a beautiful day right up to the lakefront. Lake water temperature uh, is now 63. That's 8 degrees warmer along the shoreline uh, than it was last year at this time. So no excuses for not going at least up to your waist. Um, tonight, 72 for a low. It's going to be a windy, warm um, humid evening. This is going to be one of those nights where at 11 o'clock at night, it's still probably 78 degrees. Ah. Uh, a, week, a, week, a week front comes through tomorrow. Uh, and I emphasize week because all the winds in the upper levels of the atmosphere out of the west to west northwest, that does not bode well for thunderstorms. So just a slight chance for a thunderstorm tomorrow. I think much of the day is rain-free. And if we get any rain out of it, less than a tenth of an inch. Uh, but tomorrow's high probably up to about 92 before the front comes through late in the evening. Uh, and then Wednesday, uh, Tuesday looks nice, sunny, less humid, less warm, so in low 80s, and then a really good chance for rain on Wednesday. Uh, everything shows that we could be in for about an inch of rain, some heavy thunderstorms on Wednesday, not severe, but eh, that's still out of the, 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 the quote, frame of, of really good forecasting severe weather. That's still three days away. Yeah. Then we get back into a cooler pattern, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday next week, uh, back into cooler, less humid, and dry weather. So. Even though we got a 90 today and 90 tomorrow, which is now going to be number six for the year, that's the second most in the last 20 years up to this point. Hmm. Um, more, more than anything, the, 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 the number of days of rain seem to be coming further and further apart, and that's something to watch. But um, if you like summer, it arrives officially tomorrow at 534, and um, uh, right now we've had six days of, uh, it'll end up being six days of 90-degree weather even before the official start of summer. So uh, I would say that that's a warm start. When did, when did you say summer arrives tomorrow? Uh, 5.34. You have 6.30. Uh, 6, yeah, 6.34 Eastern Daylight oh, Time. Oh, 5.34. Central, yeah. P.M., P.M. P.M., yeah. You know, and, and no matter how many times I talk to my mother down in Florida, she says, what time is it up there in Chicago? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I have to admit... You brought up the words Father's Day, and I realized it was the first mention of that on this show today. So that's, that's why we have you, Rick, because you are so in tune with your own culture in a way that I am not. 
<laughs> well, that's all right. It takes it takes it takes a lot of people wearing dog suits to make the world go round. <laughs> and wagging their tails. So happy Father's Day, Rick. Thanks, Mike. We'll talk to you next week. You bet. Bye bye. Oh boy, this uh, this show has just uh, where did it just uh, fly off the rails? It's it's been a battle. It's just been an, an uphill battle the whole time. But it's been great content. Uh, yeah, and and I'll, and assuming somebody recorded it. Um, uh, there will be a podcast. Uh, but before we go, let's, uh, let's mention one more time that folks need to go to the website and make a re- reservation, uh, a revelation. <laughs> you can do a revelation, Reserve too. Reserve your tickets today for At the Fork Films. You can get to the link from MikeNovak.net. We've been tweeting it, and it's on the Facebook page, too. Yeah, so uh, we're encouraging folks uh, to be there. Uh, Peggy and I will be there and a bunch of uh, people. And if you heard the conversation earlier, um, not all exactly about the film, but centered around the issues that are in the film. Um, we will continue to talk about that on this show. Okay, anything else? What if, what else is uh, can blow up on us here before we uh, we get out? I'm not well, sure. If I can is... give a quick little plug here. Yeah, go for I'm, it. I'm really excited because tomorrow we go to print with our July issue of uh, Natural Awakening Chicago. Woo-hoo! It's the annual local food wait, issue. Wait, you get a beer ding. Ooh, I get uh, a beer ding. It's the annual local food issue. So we're, we focus a lot on local food, including an article by Lisa Kiverist about Soil Sisters. Both. Right, and she's going to be, have we decided when she's going to be on I the show? Think she's on July 3rd. It looks like I July third. So. Yeah. Oh, good because it's a holiday and nobody else will do it. Uh-huh. So that's good. Lisa, Lisa Thanks, will be Lisa. on. We love you, Lisa. And our friend Kathleen Boland from Angelic Organics Learning Center interviewed two women farmers, Renee Randall and Jen Rudolph, two very different women farmers, so they get to read their story, get some amazing recipes, learn about shrubs you can drink, not shrubs in your garden. I beg your pardon. And Wait, shrubs, you <laughs> shrubs. Can okay. okay, so shrubs. Shrubs are this it have ancient roots, but they're hot right now, and it's apple cider vinegar that's infused with things like rosemary, basil, flowers, pine uh, needles, all sorts of different yeah, things but, but, okay. to make a syrup. Rosemary, I would okay, okay. Basil's not really a shrub. Grapefruit. Grapefruit. It's okay. called a shrub. Uh, Oh, it, the 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 thing itself the is, thing called, is a called a shrub. A shrub. It's not from shrubs. No. Oh, okay. It's called a shrub. Uh, okay. Greenery you can drink. <laughs> Greenery you can drink. Love and it. it's a hot thing in bars right now. And do it yourself at home. So we've got some recipes and a good article by uh, Heather Lally, who's a local Chicago food writer. Cool. That it. I and mean, you'll be able to get it next weekend. Uh, at all kinds of locations all over the area or online mm-hmm. at. NAChicagoNorth.com. Okay. We'll go over there. The fan is still on, blowing in the window. I have, we'll go identify those plants over there. I, I the watered the peppers after I knocked them on the oh, floor. Oh, there were pe- <laughs> <laughs> Nice. Nice. I hope that uh, whoever comes in doesn't notice the dirt on the floor as well, too. One of them days. Don't worry. We'll clean up the mess. All I have to say is go green or go home.